This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Lazarus Lynch is the multi-hyphenate artist behind Busy Bee and Black's theme music. He's a dear friend and someone I share a spiritual connection with, and I admire so much his ability to harness his creativity to create spaces, moments, and music in the world that nourish, heal, provoke, and soothe. Our conversation is a meditative exploration of our shared histories in the Black church, the pursuit and expression of our individual songs, unlocking our hearts, building community, faith in ourselves and in others, and the bravery and vulnerability it takes to kneel before someone else and wash their feet. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being Black with Lazarus Lynch. Lazarus Lynch, who listeners to the show will know who you are. Um, I, I'm so honored that you're in this space, that you're here with me, that I'm just, I'm so grateful to you. I have so much love for you. Thank you for being here. Wow, Josh, I'm tearing up. We haven't even started yet talking and I'm already tearing up. <laughs> and of course, I know your question is, how is my heart? But I'm... <laughs> I haven't even asked you that yet. You haven't even asked me yet. I'm like, no, I need tissue. Oh, God. So thank you. Mm. How is your heart, Lazarus? My heart is grateful. My heart is full. Josh, you don't understand what this means to me. I mean, because I don't even remember how or what led me to you and your voice and this platform. I don't remember the day. I don't know how it happened, but I know it was spirit led. I know that the ancestors spirit just ushered you into my uh, sphere, into my orbit. And I say I'm grateful and I'm full because having this conversation with you maybe two and a half years later or something like that, I am so changed because of this work, because of what you've done, because of your yes, and because you've shown up, and also because of everybody who's ever been on this platform, who's lifted my journey and and so the tears were because of the gratitude that we are here and that I know I'm getting teary eyed. <laughs> you know, it's so it's yeah. it's so uh, so much of what goes on in our lives as black queer people, forget about what we do on the career side, but just as black queer people, as black queer men, is in resistance too. Right? We're we're always we're either talking about getting free or we are in the moment of getting free and therefore trying to bypass and navigate through all of the, the bullshit. And rarely do we just have the moment to say, ah, look how far we've come and 
we're grateful for where we are and we're grateful for where we've come and how far we've come. And I feel that gratitude so deeply. So anyway, that, that is my heart this morning. I'm, I'm so honored to be here with you, my dear friend, my brother. You know, I, something about the past couple of years has made me realize something different. I think something I didn't know before or wasn't able to properly understand maybe, but that I, something I knew I needed but didn't ha know until I had it, if that makes sense. And I think our friendship is an expression of that. You know, like I am so drawn to you, right? Spiritually, physically, intellectually, musically, like the, there's a recognition, right? And so to have, you know, to reach out to you and to have you respond to what I was building and to like create the music, it's just, it feels so important. It feels so important. I want every queer black person to have the kind of recognition that you've offered me so freely and so generously. So I really am so grateful. Yes, you are welcome. And, you know, it, I think it's, it goes without saying that, you know, when, when you are met, when you meet your uh, soul mates around the, the world, around, you know, the country, wherever you are, when you meet those people that um, are alike, you know, there's a light that goes on and it, it just makes sense. And, you know, you don't have to force it. You don't have to um, do anything. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's really the returning. It's the returning to love. It's the returning to ourselves, to who we truly are. We are here to be love. We are here to reflect love. Um, and so much of what you mean to me is that reflection. It's that light switch turning on. And so I feel seen too. Good. And I think that that's, that, that return is a really great segue into the music that you created, right? Because... Boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah because i reached out to you and i said laz i have this idea i'd like to change the music regularly i want the music for the show to be an expression of our community right uh, of where we are at the minute and i said something ancestral and negro spirituals and you just got it and so that return is in the music right where did you go to oh, like man. what enabled that kind of creation creativity and creation well you know i think the first return was when i was about 11 years old and i grew up in the church grew up in the black church pentecostal church you know apostolic and uh i grew up around a lot of music in that church and there were a lot of great musicians and singers and my dad was a musician he played the saxophone and um, my mother had no musical talent at all but it seemed like all of her kids could do something musically and so I remember the first time I ever heard the playing of the drums and something in me was like, that's the instrument I wanna learn. I wanna play that instrument. And so I would watch the guy at the church play the drums. His name was Craig. And I, I, you know, every now and again, I'd be like, Craig, can I play? You know, can, can you teach me? Can I play? So one day they actually let me play and I did a okay job. It wasn't to so terrible, but uh, I then continued in my drumming practice and then discovered one day the djembe drum. And I remember I was walking through a building and there was a group of djembe drum players playing. And I told my mom, I said, I want to learn how to play that. Something called me. And what I didn't know at the time was that what I was hearing was these, these rhythms, these um, drum beats that were um, sounds from the motherland. There, it was the heartbeat, the pulse. I remember the floor under my feet shaking. And I remember feeling as though the whole building was experiencing an, an earthquake because of these drums. And so I picked them up and never turned back. But then I sort of stopped playing for many years because I was doing a lot more in food and I was doing a lot in singing. And so I just really stopped playing. But then I picked them up a couple years ago, again, um, through college. And so, I say all that to say that the initial return was in the feeling of that beat and what it did for my heart. It made me feel awake. 
it made me feel woke <laughs> in a way. It's the, the sound of those drums and the cowbells and the junjuns and, um, you know, playing for all of these dancers. I mean, there was just something about that that felt so raw and honest and spiritual. And I remember one day I was practicing with a, a group of friends and we didn't know what we were doing. We were just kind of making up a beat. And our drum teacher came in the room and she said, stop playing that rhythm. We didn't know what she was talking about. She said, stop playing that rhythm. Um, she's like, you're calling upon an ancestor. And she's like, but she's like, if you call upon this ancestor, you know, like you're gonna, you're gonna stir some stuff up. So we didn't even know what she was talking about. But that was my first understanding that the drum, the power of the drum had the ability to transport you to other worlds. It had the, the power and the ability to transport. And so um, initially, you know, I was scared because of that. But as I grew in my spiritual practice and in my drum practice, I understood how there's something very special that happens when I hit that drum. And it's not just me hitting the drum, but it's the connection of what that drum represents, the heart, the rhythm, the feel, the pulsation that calls me back to home. There's something about that drum. There's something about it that's used um, in naming ceremonies, in weddings, um, in any kind of ritual throughout the, the Africa. So there's something so special about it. And when you called me and asked me to do that, immediately I thought of my church upbringing and how the music moved me and how the folks would fall out and you know dance and sing and foam at the mouth and speak in other tongues. And I channeled all of that energy. I channeled all of that 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 feeling and emotion and spirituality and then I let go and it's in the let go that we receive the downloads that are meant to be exported to the world so we receive all that we Ooh, receive say that again say that again well it's in the letting it go is... yeah. yeah it's in the letting go it's having received so much and knowing that you have received so much that you can let it all go and that whatever source is, source can use you to be a transporter, a, a translator, um, an expository, so that you can release what it is that's meant to be released. But we need that information. We need it to be able to be in position to deliver whatever that is. Yeah. Well, that, that speaks to the, the question that popped into my head as you were speaking. And I don't know if this makes sense, but what does music teach you about listening? Ooh. It's all listening. Everything is listening. Everything is listening. And listening and hearing. Because I'm conscious that you, sorry, because I'm conscious that you were like walking through the world and you heard things. And there, it's in the hearing, right, that the transformation happens or that at the very least the, the, the serendipity happens in the listening, right? That's mm. what I'm getting from that. No, that's true. And we can train ourselves to hear better. We can train ourselves to listen well. So what I've learned through music is how to play with others, how to blend, how to connect. Um, one of the most important things in the African drum community is that there is a master drummer you know, or a head drummer who's soloing on top of the other drummers. Um, and who are calling the breaks, who are calling the intros. And so your ears have to be connected to what is going on with that master drummer. So you can be playing with a hundred drummers, everyone playing different sections of one rhythm. And there's one master drum that you have to be able to, of the 90 of the hundred, you have to, with the 99, be listening, be intuitive enough to hear that one. And when you hear that one, it tells all the 99 what else to do. So I've been in the practice of that physically, but spiritually and hearing what the ancestors have to say requires heart work, I think. I think we can all do it. I think we can all do it, but I think it requires the opening of, of the heart. Yeah. Oh, there's two places I wanna go, so now I gotta choose one. <laughs> we can go in both directions. <laughs> We can. Let's see. I'm, I think mine will probably lead to the other, but because I want to talk about the opening of the heart, but I also want to touch on something that um, I've been thinking about a lot. I just recently saw um, 
Babine Bokila's new play, Cake, at Peckham, Peckham Theatre. Her partner is Dilemma, um, who I've had on the show when I named myself I Became a Poet. And she was talking about how her music, her poetry, is a way for her to imprint herself on her culture. Mm. Right? It's, for, it's her way to make her mark on, on a culture that is hers too. And I wonder if you feel a connection to that, that what you found in the Jimbe is a way back, if we carry on with the return, is, is a way back to a culture that is yours too, but that maybe sometimes our queerness is, is erased from. Mm. Yeah, Josh, that's so interesting and special. And I think so much of what I've been listening to lately um, feels that way to me, that there is, on one hand, a returning, but such a deep sorrow in the return to what we, to where we come from, to who we are. It is the sorrow comes from the experience of rejection or the experience of being wiped out or washed out or whited out. And specifically with our queer experiences of though I was in a community of drummers and we all shared a fascination with the drums, I felt different sometimes. I felt different from the others. I didn't feel that I was the boy sitting next to me or the, the gentleman on the right of me. And so much of that was not necessarily because of what I experienced in that direct community, but because of so much other things that were going on around me that I brought to that sacred space. And so I think that music has, in a, in a powerful way, in a historical way, so many queer people have been these messengers. So many of us have been these messengers. And I often wonder, is there a secret weapon that comes with the queerness that just makes us <laughs> more in touch with those things? I don't know, but it, it, there seems to be some kind of connection um, between it. And, and, and so I, don't, I, I try not to think about it too much because it can get it can sort of, I can get lost in it, but I do think that identity and reclaiming identity and using music as a form of returning to truth, returning to self, returning to one's own imagination and one's own idea of expression. I think that has power, that has immense power, but that's not to say that every black queer experience is the same. You know, I, I put out a song this year called Black Queer Anthem, um, which was my anthem. That was my freedom song. And I chose to share that with the world. And somehow waving that flag, so many faces just were sort of attached to that flag and hearts attached to that flag. And so I didn't know that I, would, that I was creating something that was going to be universal. But the feeling of owning that power of yourself and being unafraid to say it and being unafraid to even use language that you might not feel you that belongs to you but that others have assigned to you taking those words and putting melody to it there's something powerful to that mm. there's something very powerful and, to that yeah and i'm thinking of how you know how personal power becomes collective power how mm a question becomes an answer, becomes someone else's answer, becomes someone else's point of inquiry, becomes that that we together are an example of this, but Busy Being Black is an example of this, but Black Queer Anthem is an example of this, right? That these things that we try to do to express ourselves, to get something, to solve a problem or answer a question for ourselves, will of course impact other people who are feeling the same thing, right? Who need to, who just need a little jolt of electricity to, to spark their own power. Someone told me, they said, I've never had a song. I've never had a song. They said, Laz, you gave me a song. I mean, that is, that is the power of, of what that does. It's that there, there is a song our hearts want to sing life is in the finding of that song that's what it means to be alive that's what it means to be an artist that's what it means to discover that's what it means to create that's what it means to wake up every day and go to the supermarket 
it's to find that song and to sing it, sing it on the mountain, sing it in the valley, sing it when you're up, sing it when you're down and to return to the message because the song has the ability to heal the heart. It heals us. And I think music was my savior because even growing up in church where it was very legalistic and lots of indoctrination and men can't wear this and women can't wear that and you know all of these things and, and being a homosexual, <laughs> I've had to find the song. I've had to find the, 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 the push, the inspiration, the, the joy. And music was that savior for me that although I was being oppressed in that space, there was such an outpouring of appreciation for the songs. And in this very sort of, I don't understand how I, I was oppressed and still loved and appreciated the music and appreciated all that that gave me. It left a permanent imp imprint on me and holding those two things at the same time together that we can live in the world, we can go through life, we can have the experiences that come with all that life is and still hold on to the song. And there's something beautiful about that. Mm, there's potential in the song. I'm thinking about back to my own church experiences, right? That I too was in this space, my grandfather's church, these, these feelings that I was wrong somehow and I shouldn't be here, but still listening to the choir and singing in the choir and being so, that, that potential I still feel, right? It's why I'm trying to find my way back to God because someone else told me I couldn't have a relationship with him. Someone else told me that wasn't my music. God didn't tell me that. And mm. so that this journey, this return really resonate, is really resonating with me that we're all looking to get back somewhere in order to go to somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she, God, her woman is in you, in you, in every breath you and I take. She, God, is here, is there, is everywhere. And what, what has been so dangerous in, um, particularly in faith spaces, um, I can only speak about my experience, um, what's been so particularly dangerous is how we painted God, how we've taken our brushes, our paint, our shit, our trauma, and have painted God. And unfortunately, we have made what is so near to us feel so far from us. And that's what pain does. That's what pain will do. It will, it will create suffering so that you forget how near the healing is. And so I ground myself every day, every morning in the nearness that I am to that mother, to that, that father, that power, that source, that universe. I dare, dare I call it God. That it is so here and now. It is so right here. It is not judging me. It is loving me. It is not weaponizing against me. It is protecting me. And when I've shifted that narrative of what I believe about God or about higher power or about source, everything in my life shifted. Everything changed. You mentioned unlocking your heart. And I imagine that with what our communities specifically have been through over the past year and a half, there will be people listening who aren't quite sure how to unlock their heart and to feel as if it might be easier to not let other people in. It might be easier not to explore who we can be, particularly when there seems to be such an imminent threat to life and to joy and to livelihood. How would you begin to talk about the unlocking of our hearts in this moment? Mm, that's so real and so honest and me too. <laughs> me too. Oh God, it's, uh, it's, I don't want to do the work sometimes. I'd rather lick my wounds and remember all the, all the, the sorrow and remember all the, the dogma and all of that. I, I, Sometimes those things become garments for us that we put on and that we 
we bathe ourselves in those salts and first start with compassion because the only way to open the heart is to first start with compassion. It's the opening of ourselves up to what we already have within us. It's offering that back to us. It's not like gifts or anything, it, it, but it is a gift that we offer to ourselves. We're not asking anybody from, for it, we offer it to ourselves. We offer ourselves space to be happy. We offer ourselves space to be healthy. We offer ourselves space to be free. That offering to ourselves slowly over time will begin to open up our hearts. You know, I've done things like practices of loving kindness meditation to my to myself, where I just sit with my heart. I sit with my child self and I offer the gift of presence. I offer the gift of freedom to be happy. May you be happy to myself. And I say that over and over again, may you be happy. It is okay to give yourself permission to be happy. And I start there because see the opening of our heart, when, when we do that, I mean, of course, there's all of the fear that what if we get hurt again? But the truth is, yeah, because yeah. when you open your heart, you don't just let in the good, right? No, you don't. But duality is part of life. That's why we have morning and we have night. We can't escape duality. What becomes difficult for us is when we experience the duality, we begin to think that we are somehow the reason why we're experiencing the duality is because we did something wrong or because we are a problem. And we confuse what is just nature for who we are. So what the compassion does is that it allows you to experience the duality with a sense of not blaming yourself. And it allows you to hold those two things with understanding without taking them personally. That's what empathy does. Empathy gives you perspective of how to navigate in a moment, in a situation. So the more that we open our hearts, the more that we can receive the information that we need that's necessary to tell us what to do. When we close our hearts, when we put the armor on, not only do we not allow for those messages to enter in, but we block ourselves off from being seen and seeing others because that wall doesn't just keep us protected, but it protects us from being able to receive all the good that others have to offer and that life has to offer, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's daily work, it's daily work, but it is ultimately giving ourselves permission to feel everything and to be okay where we are and to know that we will be okay wherever we are. That's what the song will do. It will, it will allow you to be on that broken ship in the choppy waters and know that home is near. That the more you sing it, the closer you get to the shore. And so I believe that's what the gift of music will do. And I believe that that's what the gift of writing does. And that's what the gift of food does. And, and these, are, these are all forms for us to return back. I'm thinking about how the opening of the heart plus the listening by letting in the pain too, I'm not letting in, by, by knowing it, by understanding it, by sitting with the pain too, as well as the joy, maybe you also hear what your response to that is, right? Like what, mm. what you can do to alleviate that pain in others. Yes. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about your, that your music is, and we'll get onto your food, on your cooking, sorry, but the music does more than express. It does express, of course, but it does more than that. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you heard your response to the world in the opening of the heart. 
Ooh. Yes, I have. And, and, and the world is the world is not a fixed place. The world is a changing place. And so we, what we learn is that as artists, as creators, and as people on the who are surfacing and, and revolving around the planet is to understand the changing of all that is in the world and to see that and to be able to return back to what is the same. What is the same is that we are all here to love, to give, to share, to, to learn, to teach. And it is in that, that knowing, it is in that sharing of what things remain the same that we can find the healing. It's when we get lost in what is always changing that we lose who we are in all of that. And for me, the songs, the music, as I'm writing a piece or if I'm sitting at the piano and composing something, um, there's a different dimension of sort of presence um, that that brings. And I don't think that it's just musicians who can do this. I think anybody can do this. I think anyone can get still and, and take a walk and listen to the birds. There's music always around us. Listen to the cars, listen to the honks, you know, listen and, and find that there's communication happening on this planet. There's lots of communication always happening. And so our jobs as caretakers of ourselves, as the governors of our own um, lives, as the captains of our ships, is to be able to, throughout all of the noise, you know, get back to that safe place, that beautiful place, that, that return. I keep going back to that. Busy Being Black will return in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. I'm Josh Rivers and you're listening to Busy Being Black. Today, I'm in conversation with Lazarus Lynch. He's a musician, artist, and chef whose spiritual practice helps anchor and guide his creative expression. He's also the creator of Busy Being Black's theme music and a dear friend and confidant whom I admire a great deal. So uh, what I'm really drawn to about you is that you express yourself in so many different ways. I find it really inspiring. (laughs) Thank you, Josh. But you're a chef, you're a musician, and what... The connection between these two things to me is that both of these are healing acts, right? To feed other people, to nourish other people, sonically and with food. These are big, generous, nourishing acts, both of these. Your, your interest in both music and in cooking and in food and in feeding people and in making people feel good. Um, and that's not a question, but it's a segue into your relationship to food. Mm. And maybe we can begin with when you understood the power of communion, perhaps. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, growing up in a big family, it was, it was six of us in the house in a two-bedroom apartment in New York City, uh, which is where I grew up. And so you quickly learn what it means to be in community um, with people. You share everything. You share clothes. You share toothpaste. You share food. Um, and so from a very early age, I learned what it meant to be in community with others, to share with others. And uh, it doesn't make you any better at it than when you get into the world, <laughs> because you still have to learn how to negotiate and speak up for what you need and, and ask for things. And um, So anyway, my first experience with communion actually started in church outside of my household, because there was a practice on every first Sunday where we would show up to church in all white. And uh, we would have the, the crackers and the wine or the grape juice. And um, there was something so sacred about those first Sundays growing up where we knew it was communion Sunday. And I also remember not being able to take communion because at the time the theology was that if I wasn't baptized and if I didn't speak in tongues, then I wasn't worthy of taking communion. Um, and so I didn't take communion for 13 years 
And when I was 13 years old, I said, I'm going to get baptized so I can have communion. And they were like, oh, well, not so, not so fast. You got you to gotta speak in tongues. And so I remember I would tarry and tarry every Monday night. I would call on Jesus for people that don't know what tarrying means. You, you call on Jesus for an hour. You just say, Jesus, 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 for an hour on your knees. And you would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you would speak with other tongues. Well, I did that for about three months. And nothing happened. And then one day, something happened. Something that transported me out of myself, out of my body happened. And um, when I got out of it, I was, I felt incredibly light. I felt incredibly still. And then they said, now you are welcome to have community, communion with us. <laughs> so it was sort of the shared experience that everyone who had communion in the church understood what that precious experience was. And there was a, there was a gathering, there was a, a space for that. Now I've since like have sort of evolved in my understanding of what communion means. It is not exclusionary. I don't exclude anyone from joining and sitting at the table, but there is a shared understanding of community with communion. And feeding people, I don't know that I thought this at the time when I thought I wanted to be a chef when I was, you know, like uh, 14 or 15 years old. I didn't exactly know that I was asking to be a, a servant for others. But that's what it means to cook for others. And that's what it means to create music. And that's what it means to be an artist, is that you are a servant. I was, I was explaining this to someone else the other day, and I was like, the danger is when we as artists begin to come, become so self-absorbed with that part of what we do, that we forget the servant part, that we forget the service part of that. And so the service part is to be able to understand what the needs are, to be able to translate that and to be able to offer something good. See, I think the word servant, unfortunately, has had such a negative connotation where we think, we're less than, or we're not as good, or we we are underneath someone's, you know, someone's control, or some 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 sort of um, active, uh, yeah, being inferior. Yeah, displacement or displacement. bondage. Mm -hmm. mm. And that's not my idea of what a servant is. I think you are a servant to the world, but that does not in your artistry. That does not mean that in your personal life you have to sacrifice yourself or your joy or keeping what is yours, yours. And so I think that there is there is a space to create those boundaries and to learn what that means for every, every artist with whatever instrument that they're using. But it always is about the servant part for me. And so whether I'm cooking for friends or if I'm cooking for a lover, if I'm cooking for my family, if I'm cooking for an event, it is always in service. It is always in service to greater needs around me. It doesn't ignore my own needs, but it just says that in helping you, right, in serving you, there is something that is also happening for me. And when we all have that servant attitude, that is when we all, our, all of our needs get met and we're also in balance with our giving and our receiving. The thing is, I grew up also doing foot washing Foot washing were ceremonies where we would take our shoes off, take off our socks, and someone else would wash our feet. This was tradition. Let me let me just tell you that I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's traumatizing. <laughs> and you saw the you saw, and no one will get a pedicure. You just you know why why bother? But it was just the act of. There's nothing more servant-like than washing your brother's feet. There's nothing more humbling, right? humbling than mm. washing your sister's feet. And so I remember those, those ceremonies being so full of tears. And as a child, I didn't I understand why people were crying, <laughs> washing others' feet. And it was just like a basin and water being poured over. And they would sing hymns and, you know, and, and all these blood songs. And blood songs are just like, you know, gospel songs that are about the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they would sing all these songs and just acapella, very Negro spiritual and wash feet. And there was something so 
powerful that was happening. And if I can, if I can say intimate, very, intimate. I think that was my visceral reaction to that was not that, not just that people's feet are gross, but that, some <laughs> people's feet are gross, but that, um, <clears throat> that, that level of intimate, of physical intimacy terrifies me that I had a really visceral reaction to it, that vision in my head of, of someone kneeling at my feet to wash them. Mm. Yeah. And so I wonder if intimacy is an essential component of both communion and community. Absolutely. And I, I've never thought of it that way until just now, but it is extremely intimate. I mean, you, you are, you are putting food in other people's mouths that they will then digest. And I always think about the power of that. I always think about, you know, the power to, to fuck that up, right? And to go about it wrongly. I mean, we've all had a bad meal. We've all had meals that have made us not feel good or meals that were just not really great. So that is the power of offering what we offer to others in our serving, in our servitude. And being good stewards of your tools, being good stewards of, you know, what you've been given, your instrument, to serve the world, um, it allows you to show up in those spaces, in those very intimate spaces with grace, with so much grace. Because the attitude is not, this is going to be easy for us or that this is going to be comfortable all the time. But it is the fact that I had to serve you. There is something here that I have to offer you. And so even with food, you know, Folks don't like certain things. People don't like cilantro. They don't like capers. They don't like spice. They don't like whatever. And so your job is always in sort of positioning and repositioning, you know, with your tools, with your understanding of what people like and don't like to still be able to connect and be intimate. How do I kiss my partner who doesn't like to tongue kiss or who doesn't like to, you know, kiss or, or do other things that maybe I like? It's, it's finding the common ground. Can I serve you and can we still find gratitude and joy in the service without me feeling less than or, or you feeling not served enough? And I think that that is a very intimate exchange. Yeah. Mm. And one of faith, I'm thinking now. Definitely. You have to step out on faith, right? Into not, not only as, so let's start here, like to, to, to believe that we can work in service of other people, as I feel called to do, as you feel called to do, as many listening feel called to do, that requires that we step out on faith, right? That we believe in ourselves enough to show up and create space for the people. But we also then have to extend that faith to others, right? Mm -hmm. That you can kneel at my feet and I can let you touch a sensitive part of me and not recoil from that, 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 that I, need, I need to have faith to do that. Right, the strength that faith gives us to do that. So yeah, so community and communion require intimacy and intimacy requires faith. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and faith requiring forgiveness. And, right, the return, here we go. You know, yes. Look at that full circle. That full circle. <laughs> we have to be able yeah, to wow. forgive because that was part of the, the, the ceremony too, was that we would always offer forgiveness before we washed anyone's feet. We would have a, a, a prayer of forgiveness. And please, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And this act of forgiveness is the opening of the heart. It's how we are able to receive and have our feet washed by our own enemy, by the very one that has betrayed us. Imagine that. Imagine the, the type of humility that it takes to know that someone has spoken ill of you, has tweeted badly about you, and to wash their feet. I mean, it doesn't get any more humbling. <laughs> yeah, you're that. a better man than me. And, you know, and that, that is what it means to be an artist. We do not judge the world. We, we are to support through healing. That is my mission. That is my mission, is to support 
the evolution of humanity through healing with my food, with my music, with my writing, with my poetry, with my dance, with my music, with, with all of it, is to facilitate healing, is to facilitate love. So my selfishness comes in protecting that very special part of me that not only is able to deliver it, but to deliver it with clarity and to deliver it unfiltered of the world. That's the separation that we have to take as artists to really be instruments, to really do what we do. That what is happening is over here and what we're here to do is over there. And I mean, that entering in and out of ourselves, that's what happens every time we cook, every time we write, every time we do music. It is, it's getting out of our own heads and following that other calling. That is what it is. Do you have something you want to share, a poem, something you want to recite, something, anything? Mm. I am. I'm here. I am not my mistakes. I am. I'm beautiful and loved and adored. I am. I'm worthy to experience all the good that is available for me. I am. I am the awareness of the calling on my life of the most high, I am. I'm willing to let go of all that does not serve me so that I'm able to fully experience joy and freedom, I am. I'm ready for more, I am. I'm not my past, I am my today, I am my tomorrow. I am a new beginning. I am. See, it's, it's those things that we give to ourselves. We offer them as gifts. It is the restoration. It is, wow, what happened to me as a child was so messy and so disturbing and so terrible and brutal. I am picking up the pieces that have crumbled. I am rebuilding this beautiful vase that was broken. I don't wanna do that work but with love, all the pieces, all the pieces can gently over time come together. The fragments, there can be healing. And as a servant, as a servant, my job is to support you in that with tools, with food, with music, with sounds, with scapes to remind you to remember you. Mm, you make us feel something and in that feeling, right? It's That's the spark, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. that, that using your tools in the way that you use them or indeed that we use them stirs something up in people. It reminds them of something. It makes something possible. And I think that you've just given a beautiful example of that i mean i am like in bits inside <laughs> mm -hmm. right the role of the artist is to make people feel yeah and return and return home going home going ah did you read that book <laughs> i did by yajasi yeah <laughs> yes. home going yeah mm. i love that phrase though i love that phrase home going and i feel like we go home we return together, right? That part of what we hope for 
is that we can find people on this journey who who will go home with us. Yes. So thank you for for helping me get home. We're not there yet, but we're on the way. <laughs> and Josh, you've been you've been one of the most prestigious ushers I have come across in this journey to returning home. You've been an incredible facilitator. You have been so compassionate and held so much space for so many. And for that, we thank you on behalf of all of us. Thank you and carry on. It, 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 is, it, does, it does get a burden sometimes. It does feel heavy sometimes. But know that it is not in vain. It is not in vain. And that, no, not that you are responsible for the healing of others, no, but that you do play an important role in allowing others to reach that place. That without you, it might take them a little longer to. So thank you for help, helping us get there a little quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Laz, thank you so much for everything. You know what you've done. And I'm so glad that Busy's listeners have gotten to experience you. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you, Josh. Lazarus Lynch is an entrepreneur, author, musician, and multimedia host. He is a two-time Chopped champion and the host of Snapchat's first-ever cooking show, Chopped You. This year, he's one of the chefs selected to cater Vogue's Met Gala. He's the creator of Busy Being Black's theme music, and his new album, Sanctuary, is released later this year. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer Black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride, Blackout UK, The 10th, Schools Out, and to you, the listeners. Your support of Busy Being Black means the world. Please do rate and review the show and tell others. The more you do, the more people like us get to hear the stories and voices amplified here. And finally, thank you to my friend and co-conspirator Lazarus Lynch, a musician and culinary extraordinaire based in New York City for creating Busy Being Black's triumphant and ancestral theme music. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details